In the TIPBS podcast, you get great ideas and practical advice for educators. You can get more invaluable insights and free resources by subscribing to the TIPBS monthly newsletter. Visit www.tipbs.com and register your email address. I'm your host, Dr. Kay Eyre. For some school leaders, taking on school-wide trauma-informed practice can seem like a daunting task, one that requires an investment of resources, including time and money. But is the approach actually effective? Are the returns on these investments worth it? Today we speak with Nicole Boykins and Rochelle Gortier from Crocker College Prep in New Orleans in the United States. The trauma-informed practices of Crocker College Prep have been internationally recognised and featured in various news outlets, including the National Public Radio Service in the US. Nicole is the principal of the school and Rochelle is a clinical social worker at the school. Nicole and Rochelle speak to us about their successes with trauma-informed practices at their school with lots of practical examples and tips. Nicole and Rochelle will be interviewed by my colleague, Dr. Govind Krishnamurthy. I hope you find the interview useful. Nicole and Rochelle, um, if you um, wanted to start by just telling us a little bit about um, your background and the school you work in, just first to understand your context, that'd be great. Um, so I'm Nicole Boykins, um, and I started out as a lower school elementary teacher. I taught first grade for about five years um, and kind of moved up, um, and now I'm my second year of principalship at Crocker College Prep. Um, I've been, all, the only place that I've been um, is Crocker. So I started out as Crocker as a first year teacher, and I'm currently still there. Yes, and I'm Rochelle Gaucher, and I am the social worker um, at Crocker it is our the end of our fifth year um, at the school there. Previously, I worked um, at a nonprofit here and did more individual and you know clinical, in more of a clinical type setting, individual and group counseling with children. Um, and now I've been at the school going on five years. Yes. Yeah, excellent. So the school is a charter school, isn't it? So we've just got quite a few people um, who listen to us from everywhere. Could you explain to us how that works and um, how the school's structured and things like that? Um, so New Orleans is primarily governed by charter organizations or charter management organizations. And what that looks like is um, each school in New Orleans is under this umbrella is how I like to describe it. Um, and so under one particular umbrella, you may have five schools that is governed this particular way and has its own set of rules. Um, and then under the other umbrella, you may have two schools and that school is governed by this, this set of rules. Um, and so it is very unique in such that we are not necessarily run by a district. So we don't necessarily all have to do the same thing. There's a lot of autonomy when you think about charter schools. Yeah, and so we are, um, at Crocker, we are a pre-K through eight, so we have four-year-olds to anywhere um, up to 16-year-olds in the building at, at one time, so it's a really large age range. We have about 550 students and a staff of about 60 people. Yep. Yeah, and of wow. course, we're in, we're in New Orleans, Louisiana, in case anybody <laughs> uh, wanted to know that part. <laughs> Um, I think Kai, you were saying to me the first time we had to reschedule because of the, what, was it the parade or the local 
Mardi Gras thing that you have going on. Is that right? Yes, I think yeah. so. Yeah. <laughs> that sounded like a great way to finish the day. <laughs> um, so, Nicole, Rochelle, did you want to tell us a little bit about, uh, you've told us a little bit about the students there. Well, what are some of the kind of challenges that the students face at the moment um, at school? Yeah, so our student population, um, I don't know what they call it um, in Australia, but it's about 99% free and reduced lunch. So um, families that qualify for free lunch due to um, poverty, um, economic status, I should say. And so um, we have an, it's, we have about a 98% African-American population, um, a growing English language learning population. So we're getting most of those families from Honduras, um, Guatemala, couple from Mexico, but mostly Honduras from Central America. Um, and so that's primarily our population is a low income um, population that we serve. So with that comes a lot of exposure to trauma. So we have a lot of kids who have a parent who was incarcerated or uh, witness community violence, um, have parents who've been shot or killed, um, uh, witness domestic violence, child abuse, you know, um, just living in poverty, like not knowing if the lights are going to be on when they get home or if there's food. Um, a lot of community violence, you know, just shootings around, even, you know, at a parade or something possibly. So that's, so what that looks like at school, you know, can be very um, different depending on the kid. It could be throwing chairs, getting angry, you know, going at a teacher or, you know, it could be really sad, depressed, kind of dejected type of type of kids to add. I think that's about it. Yeah. Yeah, great. Kay, did you have any questions for Nicole and Michelle just about um, the students at the school? No, no, not at the moment. Thanks. Okay, great. Um, okay, so it's, it sounds like a low socioeconomic kind of families are kind of having lots of kind of community related kind of challenges as well. Um, how do you see that playing out at school? Um, what, what do you kind of typically see um, the students are like at school? So you see some behaviors uh, that would almost stop a kid from learning, that prevent a kid from learning, right? So that could be um, today I'm coming in and I'm not, I'm not going to do my work, right? I'm going to put my head down. Or if I'm being redirected, um, I might get a little bit snarky with you or I might be snapping in my tone or in our response to you. If a teacher gives a direction, maybe a student will to do it and those are some of the things that you see on a smaller level this inattentiveness um just not necessarily that zest for learning doesn't live in some aspects and so that that's what you might see in a class right but then that behavior could potentially escalate and that escalation looks very different in some aspects so if i am given um, a direction something as simple as hey um rochelle pick your pencil up and start your work I might explode. I might decide today's not the day or today, which I don't, I don't feel like doing this today. And so that could be a tantrum. It could be some type of um, outburst that would disrupt the learning environment typically. Um, and that is kind of what we see. You, you tend to see some aggression from time to time um, because, of, you know, I've, I've been triggered by something, whether it's another student, someone may have been, um, you know, insulting me, whatever it is. And then you start to see those behaviors slowly progress in something that's more explosive. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then I think too, like on the um on the other side of it too, then you see the, the kids who keep it all on side and they, they don't necessarily explode, but we have students, you know, who self harm um due to things that they've you know, just that pent up kind of emotional 
um, on the other on the emotions on the other side. So they may be self harming, cutting type of behaviors, um, suicidal ideation or thoughts. Um, kids who are just kind of like just sad and you know really flat affect, don't really get really excited about anything or really mad about anything. And um, and those kids are super concerning, you know, as well. Even though they're maybe not getting all of our attention all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Sounds really challenging. Um, can, can you tell us about how you, um, you know, came upon this idea of adopting a trauma-informed approach? What, what was sort of, what were the things you had tried that sort of led you to then adopting the trauma-informed approach to manage some of these challenges? So um, I'll start with that one. So we, so the, so the, it was actually the um, to become like what was they're saying like to train teachers and become like a trauma-informed school it was actually the new orleans health department so it was a city program um and the city and the, the health department said like we are having huge issues with violence in our community so we are sending out crisis responders and you know people to go out after an incident occurs but didn't feel like we had as many proactive or preventative strategies of how do we you know kind of stop some of this stuff before so that's how the city actually, um, the gov city government, local government, put out the, the ask for the grant to say, hey, we want six schools to be a part of this pilot program to uh, see if we can train teachers to help them have more strategies and skills to not re-traumatize or re-trigger, you know, students when certain things come up um, and to provide those supports. And so it was really an email I think I got saying, hey, we're, we want schools to apply for this. And so we're like, okay, great, let's do it. Um, and then I think, you know, on the other end it was, all these things that we have been doing, like it's still not enough. And so like we need additional support and not just two social workers or a counselor, you know, we don't have a full-time psychologist either at school. And so, you know, we need everybody to not necessarily be therapists for kids, but to be understanding and a little bit, be able to respond a little bit better to, um, in more effective ways, I should say, to students when they were having struggles. Mm -hmm. and, and what we realized is that I would, I would say in schools in general in New Orleans, there was, especially with the charter movement came this um, idea of like um, no tolerance for, or, or zero tolerance, right? The zero tolerance policies. And so for incidents that, you know, it's like, well, we know, you know, your mom is away. We know you're unsure when she's coming back. We know you might be staying with mom. You know, you were late today, you missed breakfast. And then that child may refuse to do work and then that child was sent out and punished, right? Or you're, you're now in this place where you're not, you don't have the options or you don't have any support. And so just switching the approach from like punishing kids essentially for things that are not necessarily in their control is something that we knew we needed to do as a school in order to really support our, you know, our families and our community. Yeah, yeah, that's great. How would you explain that? I think you've touched on it a little bit already, but um, if you were to kind of explain to people what exactly a trauma-informed approach is and how it's different from anything, uh, how, how would you... A billion-dollar question. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think if we had a perfect answer for that, we would, you know, probably codify it and try and sell it in the book, right? <laughs> uh, but we don't. Um, I, and we get asked this question a lot often. Husband asks me this question all the time. He's like, "What exactly is it?" Um, you know, because people are very curious about it. Um, and I can literally say it is. It boils down to like doing what's right for kids, right? It's just an approach. It is nothing fancy. It is nothing sophisticated. It is literally doing what's best for kids. So instead of asking, 
what did you do? It's like, well, tell me what happened. You know, give me a little bit more context. Why do you feel this way? What harm did it do? How are you feeling? How can we repair it? So it's not any this sophisticated system. It literally is. And I, I think it's like, it's a one of the big things I do think it has helped. It's, it's a mindset shift, you know? So it's like, it's a mindset shift from, you know, um, of understanding maybe where a kid is coming from. And it's not people are like, well, what about kids who haven't been through trauma? I'm like, you know, it's, it's still just what's best for kids. Like, instead of saying like, why did you do this? Maybe like, hey, what's wrong? What happened? You know, just even just the difference of language of how you can approach some, somebody, um, you know, an adult too, for that, for that matter. And then just like a set of different systems potentially. So what we did, one of the things is, you know, we kind of reworked our school discipline policies and procedures. So that becomes one of the approaches that we use to try and help, you know, we know that kids who've been through trauma might act out more, so they're more likely to get suspended. We know in the United States, a lot of, you know, young black men are the ones ending up in the criminal justice system or dead. And so we, you know, really like suspending students leads to more likely for them to drop out, to go to jail. And so how can we like address their needs by also like helping teach them better ways to handle it opposed to just putting them out. So I think it's, you know, sets of, we've developed different sets of systems and restorative practices and just trying to really give teachers the, um, you know, skills and just remembering how, you know, what, what ways we can respond that are more helpful than harmful. Yeah, that was really interesting the way you described that because it's um, almost as though it's about kind of sl almost slowing down and being a little more thoughtful almost, isn't it, about when it comes to, um, things like uh, behavior management or discipline or whatever it is because and and uh, you know as a psychologist I know it's quite interesting because uh, educators are so good at doing that when it comes to curriculum and teaching and things <laughs> like that um, and it's just about kind of slowing down and just that process of slowing down a lot of that kind of compassion and common sense stuff that yeah. that's there in the first place sort of kicks in doesn't it mm -hmm. yeah absolutely okay great um, did you have any questions or comments, Kay, for um, Nicola Rochelle at this point? Uh, I thought that it, it was great that you said that it wasn't, you know, it's one of our problems in behaviour, isn't it? People want to take a program off the shelf and open it and it'll fix their school, you know, and it's the fact that your teachers have the capacity to do this. Mm -hmm. They just need to be reminded that it's there and how to actually do it and... I remember reading um, uh, a comment in Laura Riffle's book about um, positive behaviour support and she said, as teachers, we tend to think we have to react immediately and we just need to breathe just for 30 seconds, just breathe before we respond. You know, we tend to want to respond straight away to something instead of just taking stock for five, ten seconds and thinking about our attitude and what words are going to come out of our mouth when we respond. And I think, yeah, it's a, it's a good reminder regardless of your experience or, or, you know, however long you've been teaching. But, yeah, no, that sounds, sounds really good. So it's about shifting that whole, like you said, it's, it's the attitude that you bring to say what's happened to you, not... What did you do? <laughs> yeah. And I will say that one of the things that, you know, when you think about attitude shifts and mindset shifts in adults, it's something that we constantly have to um, revisit and maintain, right? Because the work is hard. And I think as educators, we would all be remiss if we didn't say, like, it is hard. Um, and I think 
especially, you know, I don't know how a lot of other places are um, assessed, but, you know, there's always this high state testing, right? There's always a standardized test that the students need to perform, and we have to do these things, right? And so if, if I'm a teacher, you know, just constantly, I feel that pressure to have my students perform academically, but then I also need to you know, you want me to take 30 minutes or 10 minutes to even breathe when I don't feel like I have 10 minutes, right? And I, I think when you also think about this trauma-informed approach, it's like what's good for kids, but also like how do we help adults manage that as well? And I think self-care plays into that significantly as well. Um, when you think about like supporting kids, like you have to bring your best self as well, which makes you think about that airplane you know, put your life, put your, your mask on before you can help someone else. Um, and so just making sure that we mention that as well. Yeah, that's excellent. Thank you for that. Um, what, how, do, how is your role, Rochelle, as, as a social worker in school? How do you sort of see that fitting in? Because I think not a lot of schools necessarily have that kind of model uh, or person in place. How do you see that working with kids on a daily basis? Yeah, it's, um, and we're lucky. We actually have, there's two of us um, there full-time, so we're really lucky to have that. And in New Orleans, we do, I think I would say, like, most schools have one. And I think that might be part of the shift to, like, charter schools, you know, and in the, in the population that we're working with, just ensuring that there's, you know, some somebody there. Um, I think it's a few levels. You know, I think it's important to help teachers. So, like, just some of the proactive strategies. So, you know, we have a social-emotional curriculum. We were using Second Steps, which is, um, you know, like a, a self-taught one. Um, it's worked in different ways. We have a kind of an advisory type of thing in middle school. Um, but just making sure teachers have the resources to also teach those skills. Because it can't just be in two people to teach those sort of skills to the entire school. Um, so, you know, helping make sure that there's that kind of stuff and proper training in place for, um, for teachers. Just like, what other things do we need to support you? Um, and then, you know, on the day-to-day -day basis, it's, you know, a lot of kind of just crisis management, you know, this happened, what do I do? Or, you know, just trying to help solve those problems since my schedule is a lot more flexible. Um, you know, so this afternoon, like, you know, I spent the last, you know, one of the parts of the last hour of the day, you know, working with kids who got in a fight after school. And so it was like, he refused to have a restorative conversation with the child because he was so mad and come to find out it was that he got hit and he wasn't looking. He's like, if he was a real man, he would have looked at me. If I would have seen the hit coming, I wouldn't have been so mad, but he refused to talk to him. And so it was a conversation of let's get to the bottom of why this happens, which, you know, of course, a teacher doesn't necessarily have time to do. I have 45 minutes to figure out why are you still so mad and then be able to have that restorative circle and conversation with him and the other student and, you know, be able to kind of repair the harm that was done so they can both continue on learning. We don't have to worry about a fight breaking out at school. Um, so a lot of crisis management, that's a lot of the day. And then you know, working with families, helping connect them to resources, you know, they may become homeless or need food or um, transportation changes, you know, things like that to just make sure that they have all of the basic things that they need so that their students can, you know, be successful. Um, a lot of like connecting, so a lot of connecting to resources, uh, mental health and, and otherwise, um, and then doing, running some individual counseling sessions and groups as well. Um, the other social worker that we have is great and she works primarily with all of our students in special education. Um, so she services them doing all of their, you know, the minutes that they get with social work and counseling, with special education, and then kind of helps, you know, school-wide um, as well, so. 
Wow, that sounds like a lot of stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, it sometimes when I say it, I'm like, what do I do all day? And then I realize, so also the social workers in, in New Orleans and Louisiana, we are also in charge of um, attendance and truancy. So I'm, you know, making sure why aren't kids coming to school? What are they doing? Um, do we need to go to the house and figure out what's the issue? Is it a bus issue? Is it parents, you know, issue? Um, home, you know, they're homeless and they don't, they're not at the same house every day. Um, so we, so we do, so that, that's another big Big piece. Yeah. Can so, I just ask you? Oh, sorry, Gavind. No, please go on. Um, on that point, because a lot of um, principals and folk like yourself that are in charge of truancy and lack of attendance at school find it really difficult to come up with an effective strategy to make a difference there. And yeah. um, I think, regardless of where you are, it's very similar. So. You, do you have any strategies that you implement that you think are, like, making a difference? I mean, we come up with things like, okay, well, two of us will go around and like, try and build the relationship so we've got a quality, productive relationship. And then we used to actually physically go round to the house and say, hey, how are you going? You're coming to school today? And, and all of those proactive things. But time-wise and resource-wise, it's really difficult to maintain. So I was just wondering if there was any one little tip that yeah. you might find is making a bit of ground with attendance and stuff like that. I think the one thing, so uh, we, we do some of those similar strategies, yeah. like maintain relationships with family so that it's easy to call. If we need to do a home visit, we definitely go on home visits. I think, and then you can kind of, because you live the life, but um, one of the things that I think was effective last year was um, we had more people supporting the attendance yeah. calls, um, and so it was the front office staff, which is not typically their job, right, but instead of sending like a robocall home, this list would be generated of all the students who are absent, and then this list is divvied up, and you actually have a person calling, so you can see like, hey, what's going on, how can we support you, and those, I felt like we did really well when we implemented, you know, that smaller system. Yeah, I I agree with that. Um, I think, I mean, I mean, we send letters too, which, you know, that's a standard procedure, but, you know, and somehow I, I reworded a couple things in the letter this year, and we had a lot more parents come in to meet. Um, and so I don't, I don't actually even know which words, but it, whatever it was, like it might have been a little bit more like urgent, might go like more urgent of like the legal, the legality of them being absent. But I think the, the biggest piece of it, but you know, it's things that most people do is like just getting to the heart of what was this the problem? Like, is it the child? So sometimes it's like you know the parent didn't know they go to leave for work and they didn't know the kid didn't go to school. I woke them up in the morning. So I, we buy alarm clocks. I've bought alarm clocks for kids. Make sure they have it. You know, some of the teachers will call some yeah. students every morning. Get up, time to come to school. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there's, it's a, it's definitely a challenge. And even if we've made like progress, we did, we've done that attendance incentives. We haven't done it as much this year, but where it'll be like anyone who has perfect attendance this month gets to eat at the fancy tablecloth, you know, and have dessert at lunch or you know different things like that. But it, it, I think it's a little harder with elementary too because a lot of it is on parents. Like kids can't control whether or not their mom walks them to the bus stop or drives them to school. And so it's definitely one of those, you know, luckily I think our chronically absent, I would say is probably about 5% of our population. So it's not a ton, but even, I mean, 25 kids missing that much school is concerning, you know, to us. So that is a, usually those families are the ones that have a lot of stuff going on too. So yeah. Um, Nicole, I wanted to ask you, like, a lot of this 
Um, you, you know, it's really innovative stuff, but it's also quite resource intensive. And I, I know, and Kay, you can jump in here and tell me this if I'm not getting this right, but one of the big pushbacks we get around doing a lot of this is, you know, it's too expensive, it takes too much time. Uh, and that's something we hear a lot from leadership. Um, what has been your sense of uh, implementing this approach and how have you kind of dealt with the sort of pushback that you've got from people who are a bit skeptical about it? You know what? Strangely enough, it's never been a financial thing. I'm not received. I've, I've never heard anything about like it's too expensive to do. I think our biggest thing is that people feel like when you take on this approach, that discipline does not live or exist. So like if we are this accommodating, or if we are, you know, if we're focused on what the what the child needs, then we don't hold this child to a certain standard. Um, and that's been the biggest thing that I've heard from other principals, like. Ooh, I'm afraid to do this because I don't want my culture to be diminished. Um, and so I, I think the fortunate, the, I've been very fortunate at New Orleans College Prep to have like a very robust staff, right? And so the thing is, um, you know, when you think about good leadership in general, it's always training multiple people to do it. So I, we would be lying to you if we said everything fell on our shoulders because we have invested so many people in this is what's right for children and we have trained everyone from leadership down to you know almost the custodians essentially on this is what we do and this is what is best for kids and it's easy and it no longer becomes we need money to to give this person so this person can do it because it's not really about the, the, pro, the person per se and so I think that it has not necessarily been a drain on our resources or anything for that matter because people are keeping it alive. What about the time resource? So I think that that's the one piece probably that's like the more challenging is to ensure that there's, you know, time and professional development. And, and every summer, you know, when, when we train new staff, um, you know, we usually like a whole day dedicated to like the staff who've already been trained or at least like four hours, which is a lot of time, you know, in professional development when there's so many academic needs. Um, but that was just like the first year it was like two full days. We just had to like, all right, this is what it's going to be. And we're just going to have to happen. But but you know I'll say like I you know having other knowing other colleagues who are social workers at schools like for me it was um, much easier because I had the support of my administration you know so the fact that my and I'm on the, a member of the leadership team at the school too as is the other social worker which is I think different for a lot of people so that mental health perspective of what's you know what's best emotionally and socially and all that for kids is like mm -hmm. at the forefront more often than I think a lot of people and I'm so we're really, I'm very lucky to be in that environment. Mm -hmm. And in terms of time resources too, you know, teacher retention is always huge. Um, and so, you know, that's why I think it's equally as important. Like we put a lot of emphasis on kids, but like teachers are our superstars too. Like we should roll out the red carpet for them because they are doing the work as well. So we are kind of very intentional with like, we notice when the staff culture takes a dip and it's like, okay, so what do we do? Like, you know, just being very intentional because then, if you understand this approach and you live through, you know, this two-day training and these little one-off PDs, like we want, we want to keep you here so we don't have to keep training people to do this work when all we want to do is like help you get better at it. Um, and so I think it's just equally as important. So you know, it is a it is a huge resource um, in terms of time. I do find myself some days when there's something like really large going on. It takes a lot of manpower to you know, diffuse the situation and calm this child down and talk to this parent and have these restorative conversations and bring all of these parents, you know, to the table, you, you find yourself, you're like, oh, 
two hours have already passed. Like where, you know, where did the day go? But you know, it's the right thing to do. So the time resource piece is a, a bit funny, but like I said, the more people you have invested in doing it, then the less it falls on the shoulders of one person. Yeah, that's great. And, and it sounds like an investment on the front end, isn't it? That makes things yeah. easier down the track. Yeah. What are some outcomes you found to kind of back up your, um, you know, having adopted this approach? Could you talk through that a bit? Uh, so, so we've seen attendance um, increase, definitely. Um, students are happy about school. They enjoy school. They want to come to school, right, which is ultimately the goal. So we've seen some increases in our student attendance. We've definitely seen a decrease in our suspension and expulsion rates um, across the years. Um, that has been significant in terms of taking this approach, right? Like we no longer want to punish children. Like the goal is to keep students in class so that they can learn. Um, so attendance increase, decrease in suspension and expulsion. And then there's one more, like send outs. That's what it was. So like the amount of time that students are being sent out. I remember about three years ago, it was somewhere about 1,594, you know, times that students have been sent out through the year. And when you start to add that up, you know, that's an insane amount. So we slashed the, the amount of times that student, students are being sent out of class by teachers significantly. So students are staying in class like they're supposed to because it's school. <laughs> That's great. Yeah, that's really impressive stuff, I think. Um, and it kind of speaks for the investment you've made, um, not just in the kids, but I think in the community almost about keeping kids at school. Um, did you want to talk just a little bit about that, about how that's made, you know, how you see that having made a difference in the community? Hmm. I think, um, I mean, when you think about it, so we have I think we have more parent involvement. And I think that if we start with that, like we have parents who feel comfortable coming to the school because it can be an intimidating place. It's like if either you weren't successful at school, you maybe didn't even finish school or your child, you're used to your child being the one that's always getting in trouble and every phone call is about bad phone call. So like as one of those just like little tactics, like we, we try to encourage teachers to always reach out to at least, you know, a certain amount of parents a week to say something positive about a child. So you're kind of building that that bank for when you have to make a call that may not be not so positive. So in regards to the community, I think that it's just been, um, you know, really especially helpful to have like parents involved. We had um, our first PTA meeting last night and, you know, parents came and they're excited to like learn about what's happening at school mm -hmm. class with their kids. Um, and, you know, kind of just parents making connections, you know, with one another from walking their, their students to school or just seeing each other at different school events. Um, I think the other piece that makes stronger communities is, are, is just building relationships and partnerships with a lot of different organizations. So that has been something that's been really key of, you know, having a relationship with a boys mentoring program because a lot of our boys don't have their dads in their lives or a relationship with this mental health agency um, or the psychiatrist in the clinic that's around the corner to make sure that kids are getting whatever sort of supports they need. And so, you know, that's connecting people and the more connected people are, then the less likely they are to, you know, um, get in trouble to lash out like within the community or, or at others. So. And then I also think, um, you know, we, because we've adopted this approach in some aspects, like when there, when issues arise, the parents are more willing to come in, right? And so they actually participate in some of those restorative circles. Um, um, or so like if a fight, has happened, right, and you've harmed our community, we're going to ask that your parent come in, we're going to ask that the other parent come in, and so we all sit at the table, and everyone 
all of their contribution in it and what could have been done better. And it's amazing to hear parents say, I wish this was around when I was in school. Like you guys have it so lucky that these people are even sitting down discussing these things with you. Um, we've even had parents that have like some altercations and tips to be honest with you and they want to come to the school and have these conversations, you know, and be facilitated by us and we kind of have to like, some of them, we learned our lesson. Um, but you know, some of them we try to facilitate it and some of them you're like, ah, like you guys will have to solve this out. Yeah, yeah, over there, not yeah. in here. Um, and so, but we, we did find that um, you know, the parents, like, once you start to hear, like, those parents come in and say, I wish this was around when I was in school. Um, because, you know, trauma, it tends, it, 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 it's layered. Um, and, you know, it happened to mom, so now it's happening to daughter. And so I think by them seeing how we handle it and how we approach it, you know, I think, while not full scale and not fully, and I think it may be making strides with, like, relationships between, like, you know, mom and daughter, dad and son. Uh, we've had plenty of parents come in. Um, you know, fathers like crying at the table with their sons saying, you know, I don't know what to do. I'm so thankful for you guys because of the support that you've been given, you know, my child. And I think it is it is impacting the community, not necessarily in the in a way yet, but we are making ripples with the students that we serve and the families that we touch. Um, so, Nicole and Michelle, um, so what are you currently curious about in your work? What, what are the sort of challenges you're trying to deal with at the moment? you want to start? Sure, I can start. I think um, one of the things that is, um, I'm curious about is just how, how do, like, some of those kids that are still super, super hard to reach, or I would say actually teachers, teachers and students, so I feel still a little bit of resistance from some teachers, right? So how do we reach those teachers to say, like, like this is what is best for kids. Like we are not going to scream or we're not going to say a certain thing. Like reaching them and then at the same note is like reaching some of those hardest to reach students. Like there's some students who I've had, we've had 15 restorative conversations with them throughout the year and the same issues are still happening or, you know, we can't control everything that goes on as soon as you leave our building and what's going on at home. So like what else can we do to reach those most challenging, like top, you know, three to 4% of students that are still struggling even with the supports necessary, and then also, you know, some of the teachers who are, you know, just really struggling to, like, buy into, like, what we're doing. So that what I, that's what I think I'm most curious about. Like, what are the ways that we can really reach, like, the hardest to reach? Um, and I think for me, very similarly, that three to four percent of the students who we cannot necessarily reach is something that, um, you know, always, that, that's, those are the days I come home and I feel a little bit defeated. Um, and in some aspects, I feel like we're doing great work by saying, you know, hey, what happened? Tell me about it. These are some of the strategies you can use. These are some of the things you should think about. These are some of the things that you can do. Um, and then it's not enough. Um, and then so you, you see, you continue to see this explosive behavior. And I can really think of two students in mind where I'm like, we supported you as much as you can, but I don't know if this is the support that you need um, in some ways, um, if we're meeting the needs of all students, you know, and like, I don't, I don't know if we'll ever solve it on our own um, without the support of, you know, outside the community when I, you know, community support, but there is something that three, 
three to four percent of students who we have not necessarily been the most effective with and we've like poured into that you know a significant amount of manpower a significant amount of hours a significant amount of support whether it's in school it's you know outside of school it's weekend trips with teachers it's spending time here and then they get to school and they do the same behaviors um it's just like that is the most frustrating thing for me so i don't know if it's it's us doing more work around um you know self-efficacy or you know citizens like something that is going to get the students to realize like you really are in control of yourself but you regulate those things and i don't think we've been as successful with like teaching those hard skills you know when your body is telling you this and your mind is telling you this and then it manifests like this like what do i do like how do i step back as a student when this goche is not present to say hey calm down you know because I, it's my fear that, you know, we have, we've insulated our babies so much in some aspect, and Crocker is a beautiful place, um, not perfect by far, but really a great place, but when you go out into, you know, a, a store, you, you're in Walmart, and you have this tantrum, you know, people are not going to be as tolerant of your behavior, so how do we start to teach these skills where students are really taking these skills and being able to self-regulate um, in some aspects, not necessarily just in the school environment, but really preparing students for life. Yeah, that, that's great. And I think there are a lot of people who can identify with that, um, you know, having just put in so much time and energy into the students. Um, Kay, did you have any final thoughts or comments just about some of those things that um, Nicole and Michelle were talking about? No, not really. It's 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 always, um, I guess, exciting to um, number one hear about the wonderful things that you're doing, and it's also great to know that way way across the um, the other side of the world <laughs> that we're all 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 pushing the same barrow, you know, and we're all trying to do do um, exactly the the same thing, and and we all seem to have you know, those those difficulties with the really challenging children and, and making some, you know, ground and you're right, they're the ones that that which is why you gotta keep your teachers, you know, uh, sane and on board because that's it's that it's that's constant perceived or real sense of failure that really gets to you as a teacher to to you know, that's the stuff that prevent that makes you think, oh you know, all those negative, you know, come with that negative mindset because you're just exhausted and, and, and just, yeah, that constant I'm not making any progress type of feeling is, I think, yeah, a really underlying um, sort of social-emotional learning for teachers. How, what self-talk does a teacher do? to get them to step out of their car in the car park and walk in and change that mindset of, okay, I can do this today. So, you know, because we teach kids a lot of self-talk and little strategies like what am I going to do and have a tantrum in Walmart and all of that sort of stuff. But I don't think sometimes we forget that the teacher who's getting dressed at home and doesn't want to go to work but has to talk themselves into it, you know, sort of, yeah, yeah stuff like that. I think because um, teachers sort of, um, sort of, you know, negative mindset starts at home like the kids does <laughs> and you need some strategies to get you so that when you hit the classroom door you've got your happy face I can do this you know 
Um, yeah, so no, it's really, it's really, um, I guess, comforting in a way to realise that we're we're all all in the same boat, so to speak. And um, but it's really lovely to hear of you know the the um, effective strategies that you're using and and the different the different setting you're in. Um, it's little things like we don't provide food to children when they come to school. They they bring their own lunch. So for us. A child like your 99% free lunch, we don't have that. We're in your type of socioeconomic space, but it's up to the children and the parents to feed their children. And they, a lot of schools struggle with that resource-wise because they have to seek a charity that will provide breakfast or something for those kids that don't have it, or the teacher has to buy the food because oh, wow. we don't have that. And that's such a basic need. Yeah. As you well know, that a lot of our kids do, and we have, we don't have that capacity. We don't feed children <laughs> at school. They have to bring their own food. So if they don't bring their own food because they're six and they don't have the capacity to get food, there's nothing in the fridge. They can go days and without food because it physically isn't there. So yeah, it's um. That's a, a very basic one that we struggle with resources-wise because, yeah. But but anyway, it's, it's lovely. It's really great to, to hear you and it's always so inspiring that we're all out there fighting the fight. <laughs> fighting the fight and hanging on to those little tiny pockets of progress and yes. yeah, wonderful. So, yeah, thank you very much. It's, it's, um, it's really great. Thank you, Nicole, Rochelle. It's really great. It, it really is quite inspiring. And it really sounds from the way you talk about how uh, how the approach has really matured in, in terms of how you use it within your school. And I think there's a lot that people listening can learn from you. So thank you for your service. Um, where can people go to kind of find out more about you or your approach or the um, the school itself? Come to New Orleans. Come visit. Yeah, we, we definitely hosted a lot of school visits. Um, to be very honest, like people are like, we need to see. So you know, we, we have so many visitors kind of coming in to see. And I'm like, look, it's not perfect. Um, and we we run our school as usual. But I don't. We don't really I mean, yeah. I mean, so I mean, they can contact any of us via email. Yeah. That was probably so. I don't know if the best way is to say it or for. To send it out somehow. I don't yeah, know yeah, to... we could we could put it up um, with the okay. um, with the interview, so um, we can have. That's probably the easiest way, and then yeah, set yeah. up a conversation or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I appreciate the tentativeness because I know even coming into the interview today, you had a thousand different things happening. So I can imagine why you don't want too many people contacting. Yes, apologize for being late again. <laughs> no, 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 that's fine. Thank you so much. We really appreciate you taking the time, and I hope we can um, keep in touch and hear about the progress you've made with the school. Sounds awesome. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Take care. Bye bye. That was our interview with Nicole and Rochelle from Crocker College Prep in New Orleans. Thank you to them both for sharing their experience with us. To access the resources and websites discussed in the interview, check out the show notes by visiting www.tipbs.com. If you're enjoying listening to our podcast, please rate and review it on iTunes. Your ratings make all the difference. Thanks for listening. See you next time.